The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Thank you so much for coming to worship with us here at Ambassador this morning. Uh, this morning, we are actually wrapping up our uh, message series, Each One, Reach One, and we are kicking off our Each One, Reach One campaign. So it's going to be an exciting morning. We had a great first service uh, just a few minutes ago, and pastor's going to be talking about that throughout the message. Uh, but John chapter number one, we're going to read verse 36 down through the first part of verse number 42. The Bible says, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, this is John the Baptist, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Any of you ever lost something before? How many of you, you've had a time where you lost your keys? Raise your hand, you've lost your keys before. How many, how many of you have lost maybe a wallet or an ID? Anybody ever lost anything? Uh, how many of you have ever lost a child? Anybody ever lost a child? Uh, let me tell you a story. When uh, Ashlyn, our oldest daughter, who's about 13, when she was about two years old, uh, Jenny and I and her, we went to the grocery store to pick up uh, some things. And uh, because we were in a little bit of a hurry, uh, my wife said to me, hey, we're going to split up the grocery list and I'm going to give just a couple items to you and then I'm going to get the majority of the items. But because I got to run around more, why don't you take Ashlyn uh, with you? And so I had a couple, looked on my list here and there was uh, uh, some, t- I had to find tomato sauce, you know, and, and you know, some other things here. And, and, and before I left, she looked at me in the eyes, my wife, and she said, now you're, you're, you're not going to lose Ashlyn, are you? At the time, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a 25-year-old man at this time. I'm like, I can take care of a two-year-old kid. You know, I've got, I've got this. We're all squared away. Don't worry about it. Everything is good. And so I grab Ashley by the hand, and she just started kind of walking and toddling and stuff. And, and so we were walking down. I'm, I'm looking for this tomato sauce, you know. And finally, I get to the aisle, and I don't do a whole lot of grocery shopping, but I got to the aisle. And uh, how many of you realize there's just a whole lot of different types of tomato sauces? There's big cans and little cans, fat cans, and if you want to oregano added to it or not oregano. I was just like, there's all the, I didn't know which one to choose. And so I'm sitting there, I'm just bewildered. The whole shelves filled of all this tomato sauce. And I'm trying to figure out, man, I wonder which one Jenny's going to want. And I'm just kind of, and I'm getting kind of wrapped up into it. And all of a sudden I, I look around me and Ashlyn is gone. I'm like, oh no, it's happened. You know, I look all the way down. I'm on one end of the aisle. I look all the way down to the other end of the aisle. And Ashlyn's standing there doing one of these little happy dance like things. Just smiles. She thinks this is the funniest thing in the world, you know. She's looking at me. And I'm, and I'm like, okay, just stay right there. And as soon as I try to get her to stay, she just starts running for it, you know. And see, she starts running. And I had this decision. Do I run all the way down the aisle and go to chase her? But I thought, man, by the time I get there, I don't know. So I did one of these things where since I was on this side, the aisles are going this way. I, I, I see her running. And so I run to the next aisle 
aisle to see if I could see her. And sure enough, she's running past, and she's laughing the whole time, you know. So, and then I, I see the aisle, and I'm, she runs out when I'm running the next one. I'm trying to wait, and then I'm, you know, because I don't want to lose her, you know. As long as I've got eye contact, I know everything's going to be fine. And so we're going from aisle, and I'm following aisle, and I'm following her to aisle, you know. I'm keeping tabs on her, and all of a sudden I go to the next aisle, and, and she was gone. I went back to the, she's gone. She like, like literally, she pulled this Houdini on me right in the middle of this grocery store. She vanished. She disappeared. I couldn't tell where. And, and sure enough, I go, and, and somehow between aisles, I don't know how she did it, but at some point in between aisles, she just disappeared. And I'm thinking, this is not going to be a good day, you know, and I'm running along, and I'm looking, now I'm just trying to find her anywhere I can, and I'm, I'm running, I'm frantic, you know, because I, I probably, I'm not going to, I promised Jenny I wasn't going to lose her, you know, and I'm running just all over the store looking for her, and I get to this one aisle, I turn the aisle, and there's Jenny right there. <laughs> she said, are you looking for something? <laughs> Ashlyn's kind of grabbing her, you know, leg right around her leg. I said, yeah, I'm looking for tomato sauce. Have you seen it anywhere? You know, when you, ever lo- you ever lost anything before? You lost some keys. You, you lost your glasses. Spiritually speaking, there are things that, you know, we lose in the physical realm. But in the, the spiritual realm, I hope that none of us would lose those that are closest to us. Loved ones, children, and in, the, in the spiritual realm. God is not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want us to to lose anyone. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. He wants to see everyone come to the the knowledge of the Father. And in this passage, we're going to discover the reality that found people find That found people, people who have been found by the Heavenly Father, have an urge to go find people. So in our Bible study, let's just jump into John chapter number 1. I want you to notice there's a character in this passage. His name is Andrew. Uh, Andrew is what most theologians believe to be the very first of the 12 disciples. And this is where we get introduced to this character by the name of Andrew. Now, as we begin to move through this passage, you're going to notice different things about Andrew. In, In verse number 29, we're going to see where Andrew, he begins to listen to the teachings about Jesus from John the baptizer, or John the Baptist, as he's sometimes referred to. And so here we see him listening to the teachings about Jesus. You're going to get down to verse number 31, and you're going to see where uh, now Andrew sees Jesus get baptized. So he was listening to teaching about Jesus. Now he's seeing Jesus get baptized. In verse number 33, he senses where the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. In a synoptic gospel, in one of the parallel passages of this text, we'll find where he literally hears the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So he hears God the Father say this. He saw Jesus get baptized. He senses the Holy Spirit descend upon him. He listens to the teachings of Jesus. Verse number 37, we're going to see where he starts walking uh, with Jesus. He spends to spend time with him. In verse number 38, now he begins to talk with Jesus. In verse number 39, he accepts Jesus' invitation to spend time with him. In, in verse, the end of verse number 39, now he's abiding with Jesus. He's experiencing Jesus. He's spending time with Jesus, which brings us to our first thought this morning, and that is simply this, the importance of experiencing Jesus. The importance of experiencing Jesus. 
You see, before Andrew goes and shares Jesus with some, someone else, the, the first thing we see is, is Andrew experiencing Jesus himself. Uh, notice verse number 38. The scriptures say, Then Jesus turned and saw them. There's these two that were disciples or followers of John the Baptist, now are following him. And, and Jesus saw them following, and Jesus said unto them, What seek ye? So in verse number 39, Andrew begins to sense the concern of Jesus. Jesus turns around and says, hey, hey, what's, uh, what's going on? What are, what are you seeking? He, he, Andrew begins to sense his concern. He begins to sense his compassion. Uh, notice verse number 39. Uh, they, they say to him in verse 38, a hey, rabbi, which being interpreted master or teacher, he says, where dwellest thou? Where, where, are you, where are you coming from? Verse number uh, 39, and Jesus said unto them, Hey, come and see. So now we see Andrew not only just experiencing the concern of Jesus, but now we see Andrew experiencing really the presence of Jesus. He's abiding with Jesus. He's spending time with Jesus. We read down to verse number 41, and we see where Andrew starts to declare. He starts to speak. He starts to say that Jesus is now the Messiah. Well, if you go to Old Testament uh, passages, the Messiah was going to be this all-powerful one that was going to come and liberate the children of Israel. He was going to come and save these people from their sins. He was one of great power. And so now we see Andrew beginning to experience not just the presence of Jesus, but now we see him experiencing the power of Jesus, which leads us to this thought this morning. We must, as individuals, as Christians, cultivate our ability to experience Christ. And so I ask you today, how are you experiencing Jesus? How are you experiencing him for yourself? We must cultivate our ability to enjoy his presence. We've got to cultivate our ability to really experience the promises of God and to sense his love for ourselves. One of the dangers of 21st century church is simply this, Oftentimes people come to church, but they come to church simply for the academic knowledge, cerebral aspects of what they can get from the Bible. It's all about head knowledge. It's all about what they can learn. It's all about what they can develop academically. And what we're going to see throughout the pages of Scripture is that it's not simply about a list of rules and a list of things to do and a a bunch of things to remember and a, a bunch of things to memorize. No, At its very core, Christianity is about an experiential relationship with God. A a relationship that we can sense. a, A relationship that we can experience. A relationship that we can enjoy. And the sad reality is for the majority of Christians in America today, they do not have an experiential relationship with God. They know a lot about God. They can tell you facts about God. They can spew out details about God. But if you were to ask them, how is it? How are you doing it? Experiencing God yourself. Enjoying the God that is love. When was the last time you enjoyed the love of God? When was the last time you came to a place and and you literally were experiencing that peace that passeth understanding that is God? The Bible refers to Jesus as the prince of peace. Peace is not just something God gives. Peace is something that God is. 
How are you doing at experiencing the love that is God, the peace that is God, the joy that is God? Are you experiencing God yourself or do you simply just know about him? Can you just spew out facts that the Bible gives about God? Or do you experience him personally? Do you enjoy him? Are you cultivating your heart for God? Um, I remember when, when, when Jenny and I were engaged, and uh, we've been married now oh, about be 15 years. And I remember when we were engaged, I, I, we were sitting outside, we were talking one evening, And I made this statement. I said, you know what? I said, somebody on planet Earth is going to have the greatest marriage that ever existed. And I looked at her and I said, why couldn't it be us? Somebody's going to. Somebody's going to have the most intimate, the most passionate, the most, you know, God-honoring, majestic, glorious relationship ever. And I said, why not us? And we begin to pray, Lord, if that be your will, make it your reality. See, that sounds a little bit selfish. I hope you have that same prayer for your marriage. Over the years, our marriage has seen its ups, it's, it's seen its downs. We've had challenges, we've had struggles, we've had joys, we've, we've seen the entire gamut. But part of what we do in in cultivating our relationship, and and I'm going to share some things, not because it's a formula for what you should do, but at the season we find ourselves in right now, it's something that that works for our relationship. And it's not something that we sat down and like, you know, it's this to-do list or things we have to do. It's just the outflow of that love that we have for each other. But I'll say this, every day my wife and I, we try to connect in a very real and meaningful way, whether that be through conversation Um, whether that be just through taking a moment to hold each other, to kiss goodbye when I leave for work, to have very real, intimate connection every 24 hours. Because if you're like so many in the modern American world in which we live, we get so busy with work, we get so busy with chores, we get so busy with taking care of the house, we get so busy running here and running there and paying bills and doing this, all of a sudden before long we're just passing each other in the hallway and we're just roommates living underneath the same roof. And So we just try to connect in a a very real and meaningful way every day. Every week, uh, Jenny and I go on a date. Say, you go on a date? You've been married 15 years and you still go on dates? Yes. You say, why? Because I really liked how our relationship felt before we got married. And one of the things that we did before we got married is we went on a lot of dates. I'll sometimes do marriage counseling with guys and like, it just doesn't feel like it used to. I'm like, do you go on dates? Do you buy flowers? Do you do those things you used to do? No, (laughs) but it just doesn't feel the same. Well, maybe if you did what you used to do, you'd feel what you used to feel. (laughs) And so every week we'll, we, we go on a date, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's crazy, big, expensive, you know. 
you know, we'll, I, one of our favorite dates, we'll go to, uh, two weeks ago, we went to Barnes & Nobles. We went through all the Barnes & Nobles. We, we got stacks of books, then we went over to the coffee shop, and we just sat there and read with each other. You know, we're reading books, and, and we had a great time. You say, did you, did you buy any of the books? No, you don't buy books from Barnes & Nobles. You know, that'd be ridiculous. Uh, Barnes & Nobles is like the, the place you, you, you find the books you want so you can get on Amazon and buy them on Amazon, you know, for $4. You know, so uh, that's what we do. <laughs> you pick up books, you know. Sometimes we'll go to, you know, Panda Express, get some fried rice, and then head over to Woodward Park where the Japanese gardens are and just sit there and, you know, eat rice and enjoy, you know, just the gardens. Every week, just connecting. Once a month, we might go on a bigger date, you know, where we might spend a little bit of, you know, a few bucks getting a nice dinner or, you know, going to see a movie or something like that. Just dating each other. For us, about every three months... Uh, we get away. We'll, we'll leave town. Uh, sometimes we'll go an hour up the road. We'll go to the coast, you know. We'll go uh, somewhere, you know, and just for even if we just get away for one night, go on a date, spend some time together. And we do this every, every three months or so. Just cultivate our relationship. Spend time with each other. Get to know each other. Continue to work at, talk about things. Pray through things. Every once in a while, we'll get together for one of those trips, and we'll have a good fight, you know, just extra time together. We can just talk, hash through things a little bit. I know none of you guys in this room, none of you married couple, you never fight. But your pastor, sometimes your pastor and his pastor, your pastor's wife, sometimes we get in arguments, you know, believe it or not. We have to work through things. And so sometimes having extra time, we, we, we work through some things. We do that every, you know, three months, about every three months or so, maybe every four months. We'll, we'll just take some time to leave. Get together, spend, spend some extra time together. Then every year, um, we go on a vacation together, just me and her. Uh, we'll do vacation with the kids for a few days, and then we also go on our own vacation. You say, without the kids? Yes, without the kids. We were a thing before they came along. <laughs> we will be a thing when they leave. <laughs> and we want to be a thing now. <laughs> and so we do. We, every year, you say, man, I, I don't know about that. You know, sounds, I'm, I'm, I'm just reminding you, the reality is this. What your kids need more than anything is they need parents who love each other. It's the most secure thing you can bring to your kid's life is having them be absolutely convinced that you're passionately in love with their mom or their dad. So we work at it. And so every year, we take a few days and depending on the year or what we can afford, that might be different things at different times. We just work at it. Every day, connecting. Every week, going on a date. Every month, doing something a little bigger, a little funner. Every quarter, man, taking a night. Every year, going on vacation. Just working at these relationship-type things. So that's been our practice at this season of our life and we've done that for several years and it wasn't something we could do 10 years ago and it might not be something we do 10 years from now but for this season that's where i find ourselves and i don't say this because i think everybody should do that you have to find your own rhythms of your own relationship and the seasons that you find yourself in but you gotta you gotta find what works for cultivating that in your own life in the midst of the other priorities that you have and your god-given responsibilities you gotta find out how those things work for you but a couple weeks ago i was doing some work in 
in Chicago. I was helping a church. They were going through some transition. They called me and asked if I'd help them out, you know, just kind of worth some leadership type stuff. And so I was out there, and I met a pastor. I hadn't met him before. I met this pastor for the first time, and uh, we were together for two or three days. And, and as we were together, you know, we just, obviously, you're talking and chit-chatting. I remember one time we were out to eat, and I was eating something, and I told him, I said, man, Ah man, I wish Jenny could be here. She would love this restaurant so much. You know, it's it it kind of uh, kind of an artsy, organic food type place. And I thought, man, she she would just love this place. You know, and uh, uh, the next day we were over at his house, and and his wife had these decorations in her house. And I said, man, this is so much like Jenny style. And I told the pastor's wife, I said, man, she'd love something like this. I just the, the style of it, you know, and things. And every once in a while we'd be talking, and something like this would come up. And uh, he was driving me to the airport, and we were getting to the airport, and I was I was talking about. Jenny a little bit, and, and he stopped me, he said, I, I, he said, I don't know if, I don't know if you realize this, but, but like, you talk about Jenny a lot. <laughs> I was like, oh, like, really? I did, you know, like, it didn't even dawn on me that that was something I was doing, and I almost felt a little bit bad about it, but the, but the reality is this, we, we naturally tend to talk about what we value. We naturally tend to talk about what we love. We naturally tend to talk about what's important to us. And my application is simply this. If Jesus is truly important to us, we don't have to try to talk about him. It just happens. If you are so deeply experiencing all the love that Christ has to offer you, it's not just cognitively, it's not just that you're mentally aware that he loves you. No, when you are basking in the deep and rich experience of his overwhelming love upon your life and the compassion that he pours out upon you, when you are living and you are abiding and you are dwelling in that compassion, oh, the love that he has, even when you were rebellious against him and even when you were running toward him, running away from him, he loved you so much that he left the throne room of heaven to pursue you in love. He cares about you. He loves you. Do you live in that reality? Do you joy that reality? Do you bask in the glories of his love for you? Or is it just something you know as a fact? Or is it something you experience? Do you just know about the peace that he makes available or is the peace that passeth understanding an experiential reality in your life when times are hard? Do you just know about the Prince of Peace or do you experience his peace on a day-by-day basis? The harsh reality of the church in which we live today and maybe even people in this room is the fact that we know so much about God but rarely experience him ourselves. We can convince others at church, we can tell others that this is, this is who God is and this is what he does, and yet the reality is we don't experience him personally. I want to declare to you that you have a God that absolutely adores you. He loves you. All oh, his showers of compassion rain down upon you daily. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is like a wave that flows into your life, and you can experience it again and again and again and again his love is ever present as we read about just a moment ago his mercy is new every morning his joy is unspeakable and full of glory you can experience joy at any season he desires your life to be marked by joy you can experience it it's not just something you have to know about you can experience the joy that is god
We must not get to a place where we mistake knowing about the things of God with, ex- with experiencing them ourselves personally. Do you enjoy Jesus? It's sad, but I actually believe that most Christians don't. They live a life with pseudo-ritualistic religion around them. But if you were to look them in the eyes and say, when was the last time you felt and experienced deeply and richly the love of Christ upon your life? When was the last time in the midst of trial you experienced joy unspeakable and peace that passeth all understanding? And for most Christians, Jesus is something we know about and yet rarely ever personally experience ourselves. You see, if we find ourselves talking about what we value and what we experience a lot, then if we find ourselves not expressing Jesus much, we find ourselves not talking about Jesus much, here's, here's what that means maybe, maybe the reason you don't express and talk about Jesus much is because you don't actually ever experience him yourself. You know about him. You can go to Bible passages that talk about him. But the reason we don't express Jesus more is because we're not experiencing him more. And rather than be deceived into thinking we have experienced Jesus, the reality is we've got to come to a place where if we're not expressing Jesus and we don't find ourselves talking about him very much and he doesn't just naturally flow from our lips, then we've got to come to a point where we say, maybe I don't experience him the way that I could be experiencing him. Maybe that's the reality. That brings us here to our second thought this morning, and that's simply this. I want you to see kind of this for yourselves here. The Bible says in Luke 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, the more we see the Lord, the more we experience the Lord, the more we sense the Lord, the more we see Him, the more we'll see the lost. Because He has a heart for those that are lost. He wants none to be lost. And to the degree that we experience Him is to the degree that we express him. And that's what we find in this passage. Let's keep reading in verse number 40. And Andrew, which was one of the two who heard John the Baptist speak, they followed Jesus. His name was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. We know about Simon Peter. Verse number 41. And uh, sometimes this does this, so we'll get it taken care of. Um, the Bible says, goes on to verse 41. What did Andrew do? Verse 41, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said unto him, we have found the Messiah, which being interpreted the Christ, verse 42. And Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. 
want you to notice a couple of things. As I said a moment ago, Andrew is theologically believed to be the very first of the 12 disciples. What's interesting is uh, Peter is one of the lesser known disciples. We don't know a ton about who he is. He's, he's kind of one of the less famous disciples, you know. It's, he's not like Peter who did all these crazy, awesome, epic things, you know, stands up in front of thousands and declares Jesus. He, he's, he's real subtle. In fact, uh, Andrew's only mentioned nine times in the entire scriptures. And compared to all the other disciples, that's relatively low. But one interesting thing about Andrew is if you'll do a study of his life, every time you find Andrew mentioned in the scriptures, he's always bringing someone to Jesus. In John chapter number 6, when the 5,000 were hungry and in need of food, it was Andrew who brought a young boy to Jesus with five loaves and two small fishes. He brought him to Jesus. When the Greeks wanted to see Jesus in John chapter number 12, Philip told Andrew, and, and Andrew brought them to Jesus. He couldn't help but do it. He's bringing them to Jesus. In this passage that we just read, after experiencing Christ and experiencing the power and the presence and the compassion of, of this Jesus, he couldn't help but go and tell his brother, Simon Peter, about it, which brings us to our second thought. Not only do we see the importance of experiencing Jesus, but this leads to the final thought, and that's our expression or expressing Jesus. Those who truly experience an authentic Christ can't help but express Christ. When you are so filled with love, you can't help but express that love. When you are experiencing peace and joy so profoundly, you can't help but extend and express that love and peace to those around you. It's just the natural byproduct of authentic experience. I've been with guys as they're watching football games, you know, and they're, they're intense, man. They're sitting on the edge of their seats. They're all excited, man. This is awesome. This is going to be crazy. They're sitting there watching their team play. When their team throws the touchdown, man, they're jumping up and down. Man, you can, you can tell they're experiencing the emotion of their team winning. When something goes wrong and the ref makes a bad call, you know, they jump up, throw up their hands, you know, throw something on the ground. They get all angry. There's this emotional experience that they're having as they watch their football team play. It's real. It's experience. Experiential. They feel what it is to feel that thing. And then all of a sudden they come to church and you know what they talk about? Football. <laughs> Why? Because you express whatever it is you most deeply experience. Your words become a window into that which is deeply experiential to you. Like I was always talking about work. That's his experience. That's what his most profound experience is, is work. So he talks about it. Your expression of words are a window into your deepest experiences. And if you never express Jesus, I'm not saying, oh man, you should talk about Jesus more. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying maybe you're not experiencing him. Maybe you don't experience him. And that's why you don't talk about him. Because it's not a real experience. It's just, it's just you got it up here. But the experience of his love and joy and peace is not something that's personal. Luke 14, verse 23 says, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. My friend, God reaches people who need him through people who know him. God reaches people who need him through people who have experienced him and who are thoroughly enjoying their relationship with Christ. That's what we see here in this passage. It's interesting as you read through this, you find Simon, Simon's always just bringing like an individual to Jesus. 
Uh, Peter kind of has another method. This is his brother. Uh, if you'll remember in Acts chapter number two, Peter stands up. Peter's the extrovert. He's the outgoing one. He's really bold. He's really brash. His personality's totally different than his brother Andrew. And man, one day he stands up and he preaches and 3,000 people come to saving knowledge of faith in Jesus. I mean, that was Paul, Peter. He just, uh, just a, he's a powerhouse for the gospel. And then he has brother Andrew and he's a little more meek and a little bit more quiet. And hey, let me tell you about Jesus. You know, it's kind of more his approach. And, and, and they both both have these approaches, but, but I'll say this, if it hadn't been for Andrew going and bringing his brother Peter to Jesus, there would have been no Peter to stand up on the day of Pentecost and proclaim to 3,000 all the nature of who God was for them. Which brings me to this. I want you to consider something. What if, hypothetical question, what if the biggest impact your life makes for eternity is not something you do, but someone you impact, someone you reach, someone whose life you touched. What if the biggest impact Andrew's life made was the fact that he reached and impacted the life of his brother Peter? Yeah, Peter went on to do crazy, big, epic things for God. But it was because of Andrew. Not everybody in this room is going to be a Peter. Not everyone's going to be this powerhouse that just extrovert and, and do amazing, epic things for God, but all of us can be Andrews, touching the life of an individual, making an impact. You see, found people, people who've been touched with the experience of enjoying God, found people, find people, which leads us to our takeaway and we'll be done. Come to him. Come to him and go to them. Come to him and then go to them. Experience him. Because as you authentically experience him, you won't be able to help but express him. I want to show you a video of some of how this works, and hopefully this will give you a little bit more insight into how this process works. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it, though he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet, oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment... Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. 
He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked, and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James, who was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. I want you to imagine for a moment the impact that our lives could make if we would simply allow the Spirit of God to experience Him so richly, so deeply that it moved us to expressing Christ to those around us. The impact that could be made on one life or, or maybe even on the life of somebody that that person will impact or the life that that person will impact. See, the majority of us will never know this side of heaven how our experiential relationship with God and the expression of it to those around us will impact not just the people we come in contact with, but the lives of those that those people come in contact with. I just want you to imagine for a moment the impact that could be made even in this local congregation. Could you imagine if there were more individuals that had a heartbeat to get the good news and love of Jesus Christ to the world through missions? Imagine if there were more folks giving and sacrificing on missions projects and, and missions tours so that our church could make an impact in those areas because we've touched the lives of more folks. Imagine if as we reach people, now there's more individuals to make an impact in the lives of our children and in the lives of our teens. Imagine if God used our lives to touch and impact the lives of those around us to the where the church grows to the degree that it starts making an impact around our city in greater and more profound ways. With the homeless and with those who are hungry and with those who are needy and with those who need help. I want you to imagine for a moment the impact that could be made if each of us, if each one, would simply reach one. Andrew reached one, and Peter was used of God to impact a day called Pentecost where thousands came to saving grace. Imagine the impact that could be made. 
Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.